Welcome to the Holy Smokes Podcast, a show about faith, friendship, fine tobacco, and drink. I am Steve Ryder in the lion's den, and we have a live studio audience. My biggest audience yeah, thus yeah. far. We got, good dudes. we got about 10 people here in the room, and uh, I'm excited for this one because... Rod Jones is in the house. He's in town from Texas. Yes, yes. And uh, brought some really nice Texas whiskey to share with everyone. Yes, drink up, boys. Tell a little bit about what it is, where it came from. Yeah, so I like bourbon. I like like the whiskeys. And... um, I like Texas, so and I like a good story. So I found this uh, at Balcones uh, Distillery. They have several different ones they do, but I fell in love with this one. It's called Brimstone. And uh, when I drink Scotch, I like smoke and peat in my Scotch. And you know, it's endemic to that region, right? You know, you have this region when the water's here and does this. And so I thought they did a, a great job in a Texas offering. So they had the Texas bourbon, but then they smoked some sagebrush and put it in the barrel and they cured it all together. And sagebrush sage, of Texas all things. Sagebrush, yeah. So I figured they kind of cracked the code on the, you know, the smoky peaty scotch version of a Texas trail sagebrush bourbon. And it's awesome. I love it. It's, it's unique. It's, it's got some good taste. And Steve Grison's here. He was like, you said you liked it, right? I liked it. Yeah. So first question I open every podcast with, what you smoking? So I'm going to have to defer to you because you okay. gave me the stick and I really enjoy it. I was going to smoke the... Um, Providencia, uh, Providencia Veritas. Trinitas. Trinitas. No, Trinitas. Trinitas. And, uh, and I got I this one. You that I one. like it. So tell me what we're doing. Okay. So you got a Daniel Marshall red label. Daniel Marshall sent me a box of their red label cigars. They didn't have any black label in stock. Really, they only make three cigars. The red label, the black label, and then they make one that's it's wrapped in gold foil. And it's like 300 bucks a stick. And you get these wrappers and these celebrities that have this Daniel Marshall gold wrapped cigar and that's really kind of where, where Daniel Marshall... But Daniel Marshall actually made his name by making these top-notch humidors. And so, right. yeah, the Red Label, every guest, and, and myself included, that's had one of those thus far, is, it's vaulted into their top five favorite cigars. It's great. So, it's great. I'm getting a lot of, like, medium, but there's some, uh, like you said, there's some creaminess. And, like, the spice is not overwhelming, but it's there, and it kind of mellows into a kind of woodsy, kind of fresh. Yeah, the way in which I describe it, it's like butter. And it's not just butter, not just American cheap mass produced butter. It's Kerrygold, <laughs> Kerrygold Irish grass fed butter. That's like it's it's good. It's really good. And then I've got a, a my last Safari cigar that I got from Joe Basil, who's been on the podcast earlier. And so, Rod, tell the listeners a little bit about you, your story, where you came from. Sure, sure, man. So, uh, California by birth, and like she said. Uh, Texan by the grace of God. <laughs> but Steve lives in Colorado, so that's a whole other story. So I was born in the Central Valley, California, and grew up there as a kind of a, a migrant uh, town. And we were probably poor, but nobody knew it. And uh, I remember raising church all my life, man. I mean, we went every time the doors were open. I mean, like Sunday morning, you know, pre-service prayer, then Sunday school, then the message, then the potluck afterwards, and then back for a choir and youth choir and the Sunday night service, and then Wednesday, and if there's a revival, just, you know, forget about it. You know, there was no sports happening. <laughs> so, I mean, and I guess that was a culture, so. How old are you? I am 54. Okay, so you're nine years older than me. And Thanks for so, pointing that and out. So, and <laughs> <laughs> so, that was like the 70s, 
80s yes growing up in yeah and that culture and a little side note like uh because we were just north of la that was like the coffee house the jesus right i probably crossed steve in another uh you know another way but yeah so my parents were kind of the hippie cool youth workers oh. and i was like oh man that's cool you know i look up to all these hippie people and so the randy stonehill and second chapter i man i cut my teeth on second chapter the uh what's the first record uh yes wore it out on my vinyl man literally wore that thing out and uh so the unique thing is i look back now on my rearview mirror and, and look at my life like i was always doing these things for like, I don't think it was entertainment because it was always, I wanted to do them at church. So I was always doing magic tricks or like, it was like the circus acts, man. Like, you know, pogo stick or a unicycle. I had a, a <laughs> so crazy. I probably shouldn't even say this in public, but I had a, a dummy. Do you guys know what I'm talking Like a dummy? Yeah, I don't even know what yeah. they call them. Like ventriloquist a, like, dummy. I was a ventriloquist dummy, right? So I was a ventriloquist. So I could like kind of throw my voice and not move my mouth. And so Can you still do that? Mortimer, his name was Mortimer? No, I can't. <laughs> his name was Mortimer Sneed. And I showed my kids not too long ago. Dad, you're creepy. <laughs> That's just really scary. And you can look him up. That was his actual name. And you look up, oh man, he's like, yeah. he's. So Mortimer would pop out for church events. <laughs> well, I would do that. So they let me do the stuff in, uh, at, yeah. at Bethel Temple, Assembly of God. Yeah, and uh, so I would do stuff for the little kids, and I—I I mean, I was probably like fifth grade, and I was doing, you know, ventriloquist stuff and magic tricks, and you know, the church was small, so you could yeah. do that stuff. Like now, you know, you go to mega church, like, oh, kid, you can't do that stuff. Get that creepy dummy out of here, <laughs> <laughs> and that plastic thing too. No, <laughs> so I just look back and I see that, and it was kind of the grace of God, and so I—I I didn't know if it was a call of ministry or call to be in front of people, but. Yeah, I look back now and go. That was kind of the start of God, like tugging on my heart to say, you know, reach people. Yeah, and so you know, fast forward, you know, I did. So what was ministry. home life like? What was home life like? Siblings? Yeah, one sister, mom and dad. They are not outspoken, not outgoing. They're like really, they could be great Dutch reformers, you know, just real <laughs> stoic and quiet. And I think maybe you know, you? <laughs> Dale Pine just raised his hand. <laughs> And so I think I kind of became a little bit more outgoing because of that, maybe in response to it. And Yeah. But yeah, so, you know, growing up, uh, probably a, a classic 70s, 80s kind of upbringing man in the Central Valley. And then we moved to Sacramento and dad was a great guy. He was a little bit of an entrepreneur. Really? So I saw that. He really? started as a truck driver, but he still had a couple of businesses. Yeah. What kind of businesses? Uh, most recently, he just sold his uh, hazardous waste removal company. So wow. he did that remediation and stuff for a long time in, in California. And he sold it and just moved here about six months ago, which kind of brought me into the Holy Smokes crew. Colorado, really? Knew. Uh, wow. Yeah. They just live like 10 minutes away from here. So that worked yeah. out well. Nice. So what kind of kid were you in high school? Oh, high school? I was kind of a little rebel. I was, I was a little nutty. Like, that's why I like you. That's yeah, why we, I like you. We would oh, probably yeah. gotten a lot of trouble together. Oh, yeah. Although, honestly, I probably would have thrown you in a trash can because I'm nine years older than you, in case you didn't know that. <laughs> <laughs> or, a <locker. laughs> or a locker. Back when you could do stuff like that and like, you know, and then when you got out of the locker, you're like, I can't wait till I'm nine years old and I'm going to throw some fool in the trash <laughs> himself. So, yeah, I was, I, was a, I was a bit of a rebel. And uh, so it's this thing, I always had this like dichotomy in me. Like I always, I love people and love Jesus, but at the same time, I love raising heck. And so I was always getting in trouble. One time we drove a, a truck into the gymnasium to show off for the cheerleaders, and we got in all kinds of trouble for that. And just, you know, in Bible college, we'd like release mice into the chapel and 
freak everybody out during a speaker. You know, that one, one of my favorite things that we did in high school as a prank was a, one of our friends had a Dodge Omni, so a tiny little subcompact car. And a bunch of us football players lifted it up and we stuck a trash can underneath it. That's awesome. <laughs> Just lifted That's it up. Awesome. And the teachers, teachers were <laughs> laughing. And finally, when we got it up, we started walking away. Teachers were like, nah, you got to go back. You got to pull it down. <laughs> oh, funny. Um, so I went to a smaller, I went to public school for, for a couple of years. I wanted to do sports and all that. And I ended up graduating from a, a, a smaller private school in Sacramento. So I was a, a student body president and I had a desk in my principal's office. And I like to think it was there because I wanted to be there. But at the same time, I was still that rebel guy. So I probably was, it was in there for other reasons as well. <laughs> so what did you do after high school? After high school, I played a little basketball for Zoo Specific. Oh. Just played a year and then kind of went, man, this is a lot of work and a lot of sacrifice. And like people don't even care anymore. You know, in high school, it was kind of impressive. Ooh, you played, you know, this and that. And I played one team with uh, Kevin Johnson from Sacramento. Oh. Played, you know, played in the pros. He was a son for a while, became the yep. mayor of Sacramento. Yeah. And uh, really, I didn't know that after his uh, NBA career, he, he became great. the mayor of yeah, several years. Yeah, wow. good dude. So yeah, I played basketball for one year and just thought that's eh, all right. And so then I transferred over to what is now Vanguard uh, yep. University down in yep. Costa Mesa, in AG School in AG Southern school. California. Yep, I looked at going there at one point. Did you? Yeah, they had a decent radio program. When I worked at Focus, one of the guys on, on the broadcasting staff graduated from Vanguard and that was kind of his entre his entry into focus which was in Southern California at the sure time. and that was a great experience down in Southern California and like as college students the cheapest rent was living actually on the beach like a house or two away because they'd rent it out I mean I remember at the time we were paying 900 bucks oh a God. month to live like Dude. one house away from the beach and then we had to get kicked out so that they could rent it to the summer renters and they'd rent it for 900 bucks. So we were paying 900 bucks a month. They'd rent it to uh, vacationers for 900 bucks a week. Yeah. And we just thought, holy cow, how could somebody afford 900 bucks a week for a <laughs> you know, beach house? So it was cheap rent for us during the month. What did you study in school? So I started off as a business major because I just didn't know and uh, quickly became a ministry major after uh, wrestling with God. I wasn't opposed to it, but, you know, I had wild oats to sow. I always love God, but I always love mischief. And so the two kind of, you know, kind of went side by side. And then one time we just had a come to Jesus meeting and a yeah. friend of mine, you know, in a, in a little gathering, a little small group, similar to this, he just reached over and said, God, God told me something. He goes, you're, you're living your life right now. Like you're not supposed to, and you're hanging around with people that are not godly and God's got a call on your life and, uh, read off a couple of little things. And I'm like, wow. So I said, that was, that was my real clarifying moment where I go I'm called to ministry I'm going to clean up my act and I'm going to do this right mm. and uh, back in the day you guys probably remember remember you had sin bins and you take all your records and your CDs and right Steve how many how many of those things do you wish you had back <laughs> so that was our you know our Christian crossing the line and so we'd bring all of our records and put them in this bin and burn them and I go I'm not going to do that I go um I'm going to sell all my records and I'm going to like donate the money and I'm going to like give money on top of that to, you know, kind of as a, Ooh. I don't know if it was a penance or whatever. I go, I'm not going to just destroy it because I figure people are going to buy this stuff anyways. So. Yeah. Anyways, that, that was my thing. I'm like, okay, no turning back. So then I went to Bible college, embraced the call to ministry and just really felt the, the, the heart tug. First, it was a practical thing. I just worked with kids and youth groups and, and then later on, I, I felt like God really said, you're doing ministry and it was a, 
pretty intense moment for me. Yeah. Whereabouts in the country did you start your career in ministry? In Southern California. Okay. So, yeah, we did uh, youth ministry there for a while and then um, got my credentials with the Assemblies of God. Yeah. And uh, moved up to Bakersfield where I uh, went back to my hometown. My folks were gone by then. Yeah. Um, but so I moved back there and that was my first full-time church. So when you said Central Valley, Bakersfield is where you were Bakersfield, at. Bakersfield, yeah. My wife's grandpa lived in Bakersfield, so we made many trips up there. Okay. Her, her dad lived retired from the Anaheim PD just last year. And uh, so many trips out to Southern California. And while, while her grandpa was alive, we made many trips into Bakersfield. Everybody's got a Bakersfield story. It stinks. <laughs> it stinks. <laughs> there, there's more dairies in Kern County than any other county in California. So Really? Yeah. I didn't know if you meant that metaphorically or, or physically, but. Yeah. So where'd you go after that? So we were in Bakersfield for... A number of years. That was and, our first. And when you say job. we, my wife and I. How'd you meet? We met at Vanguard University. Ah, uh, cool story. Yeah. Her uncle, who Steve knows, Tony Salerno, was a hero of mine. Just growing up, all the I've stuff. Heard the we name. Uh, Agape Force. We, we should let Steve like interject here because he knows. No, it's. I've got the mic on top, so we're going to keep this. Rolling. Could you do that? Because you could do. I heard your podcast. You do a great job of that whole history. <laughs> all right. All right. So who's Tony? So Tony Salerno as a, was a speaker. He was also the guy that started this thing called the Agape Force. And if you've been around Christendom at all, you'll probably know the records, like Bullfrogs and Butterflies, Music Machine. You got that? Mm-hmm. So uh, Tony Salerno produced those as my wife's uncle. And my wife, actually, I didn't know it because I didn't know her, but she was like the main vocal yeah. as, a, as a, a kid. She was like 12 years old singing yeah. those records. So wow. I grew up with these little records, listening to them. I'm like, you know, never knew that I'd you know, meet little Nancy on there. So, but before I knew my wife on campus, we went to school together. Her yeah. uncle, Tony Salerno was coming to speak at chapel and I was giddy. I'm like, Oh, I've seen this guy speak before. I've seen him do the crusades. Yeah. And yeah. so I'm like, Oh my gosh, he's going to speak at chapel. So I was like, actually one time I was excited about going to Bible college chapel. And, uh, the one time, the one, probably one, you know, you had so many skips and mm-hmm. we could take advantage of those. So before they introduce him, they go, you know, Tony is going to speak. But before he speaks, his niece, who goes to school here, is going to sing first. And I went, Rrr? you know, kind of <laughs> like I love him. So I hope his niece is le- legit. And so she sang and I go, I've got to know her. In fact, I know a friend of mine that hangs out with her because I've seen her on campus. So I made it a purpose to find her. And you we dog. became friends. I knew, I knew a good thing. So. We're married. So, uh, yeah. So we met each other for two years. We knew each other for two years. Nice. Very cool. So, so yeah. Bakersfield then. Bakersfield. Then we moved up to Sacramento, which I call Sacramento home. Yeah. And that's where I went to uh, high school, played basketball. Um, you know, the typical high school experience, I suppose. Yeah. So then where did you guys go off to? So this is kind of the, the part of the story that, like, I think when I look in the rearview mirror, we have those moments and depending on the path I think that we take, you know, God gives us all these ideas, I believe, and all these thoughts. And I always tuck things away and I go, Ooh, if I'm going to be a lead pastor, this is what I'm going to do. And I want to have a a multi-ethnic vibrant, you know, multi-city kind of thing. And since I never became a lead pastor, you just kind of go, Oh, that was a a fleeting thing. But as I look back now and um, I didn't really have the vocabulary or the thing to put my finger on it and say, this is what I'm going to do. But it was in Sacramento where I, I feel like my first experience in what I'll call is the pastor care space, like taking care of pastors. 
Yeah. And we can unpack yeah. that a little bit more later. But I had my first experience with that when I was 30. How I, so? We were at our denomination at the time did these youth conventions. And so I was youth pastoring. And uh, it's when all the denomination would come to a certain city and, you know, do this three day, you know, Jesus festival and they'd have bands and, you know, yeah. it was, a, it was a, a, a time for, you know, renewal and revival. And so I was sitting down in the front and our kids were all around and um, the speaker said, you know what, you know, it's a typical altar. You know, we were charismatic, so you had to come get saved every conference. <laughs> and uh, I remember that. You remember those? Yeah, I remember that. <laughs> And we were down in the front and the guy, the speaker said, um, you know, some of you guys really need some help and you're in this and this. And he called out a litany of things that people need to be forgiven for, or rededicated, whatever. And then he said, but then, you know what? I really feel like there's some people that need to pray for those people. So if you really need prayer for these things that I've just called out, put your hand up. Okay. Keep your hand up. Now there's people that need to do some ministry to these other people. So if you're doing okay in your life right now, or you feel like you want to pray for somebody else, would you go do that? And I go, I guess I'm okay. I mean, I'm, you know, everybody's got the problems or whatever. So I go, yeah. So I went over and put my hand on this youth pastor. And as soon as I did, I just kind of flipping. I probably had my one hand in my pocket and I just go, yeah, I prayed for this guy. Cool. And I mean, as soon as I put my hand on, as soon as my hand touched his jacket, I broke. Mm. I mean, I was Ooh. sobbing, weeping. Ooh. Ooh. And I just went, dear God, what's going on with me? And I just, I mean, I was like boo-hoo-hooing out of the blue. I mean, just like, yeah. just, just a turn. And, and I felt like God spoke to me. He goes, you're going to reach more people by reaching the leaders and doing something with pastors. Ooh. And uh, Ooh. that was years ago. Yeah. <laughs> and it's taken me until just recently to kind of understand a little bit more of what that is and dedicate a little bit more of my, yeah. my time and attention to that. Yeah. So... After that conference, what's going on? Where, I, I just kind of continue with life. I thought it was a leadership call or something. Yeah. I didn't know it was necessarily two pastors, but I was pretty passionate. I did youth ministry longer than most people did. Uh, I did youth ministry for 20 plus years. Yeah. And uh, so we had a chance you to You have do that it. energy about you that, 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 that <laughs> you make a pretty freaking awesome youth pastor. <laughs> and that was when you could do cool youth pastor things. You know, you could do the illustrated messages and you could do stuff with blood and guts and we did cow tongue relays and we did all kinds of mischievous, <laughs> yeah, stuff that like, frankly, right? Are you, I mean, we did some of this stuff. I didn't want to like put it on recording because we could probably get arrested. I somehow think the statute of limitations has run out on that stuff. <laughs> well, I'll just leave it at cow tongue relays. <laughs> And uh, yeah, so we'll just, we'll keep it right there. So I just kind of went on with my life and didn't really know. And I just thought it was a call to leadership. And, you know, I was a Maxwell junkie in the 80s and 90s and yeah. couldn't wait to get that little cassette. Does anybody ever do that? Like couldn't wait to get that cassette in the mail. And like, oh man, it had a sticky pad and the notes. And we would get those cassettes and we would wear them out, man. We just toss them all around and had to pay for them too. Now it's all free. Yeah. So uh, I thought it was a call to leadership. We were all on the leadership, you know, train. And um, so I just look back now and I see God continued to allow me to do stuff with like National Network of Youth Ministries. And at one time we had uh, 10 groups going in Dallas and Collin counties just to get people together and like this. But our thing was like lunch and, you know, discussion. I don't think we could have like in the early 2000s, you know, got away with youth pastor groups smoking cigars. But if we would have known it'd be a thing, we could have been on the front of something. 
So you, you said Dallas and Cullen counties. At what point did you move then to Texas? I apologize. So somewhere around, I think, 1998, we moved from Sacramento. We'd felt like we'd kind of done everything that we wanted to do on church staff. And we kind of wanted to see what God could do outside of that. And so yeah. we resigned and um, just moved to Dallas. We just moved. We yeah. just felt like God was telling us. Really? Yeah. Kind of crazy. We just, we literally picked up and said, this is what God is saying. My wife worked at an accounting firm, so she was able to transfer, but uh, I just went out not really having anything. I was going to help an evangelist friend do some things. And so we just felt like it was God's providence to kind of bring us out to the great state of Texas. So we did and haven't turned back. Love, love, love it. Miss California a little bit, but Texas is an amazing experience. See, I don't get Texas. I'm sorry, Kevin. I'm sorry to the Texans here, Jeremiah. I'm sorry. I don't get it. What's the mystique about Texas? I used to ask myself that. <laughs> All right. Coming All right. from California, I'm like, these guys are proud of their mud hole called like Galveston? Really? <laughs> <laughs> right? Right? I mean, like, you know, I mean, I got the Pacific Ocean and, you know, Texans are like, Galveston, yeah, we surfed on like a foot of wave. And you're like, ah. Uh, <laughs> You know, let's go skiing in Texas. Oh, you don't have any ski resorts. That's right. So I read Mishner's book, Texas, and it goes through the whole history of Texas. And I say any pastor that pastors in Texas, if you haven't read Mishner's Texas, it's okay. required reading to pastor people. So I understood the history and I understood like, they had okay. these German outlets and I understand the, the rivers and how they thought the, uh, you know, they would have the next Mississippi River in Texas and it just didn't work out because Texas is so flat. And so anyways, uh, so you're in Texas, not quite sure what you're going to do. You're helping your evangelist buddy. What's next? So I wasn't sure. I thought we were going to blow up this. We were doing, we had a bunch of staff and at the time everybody was doing interns and master's commissions. And so we were doing some of that stuff. And I just wrote the pastor of the church I was attending at the time. And it was a real kind of outward focused church. They were all about the city. And so, I knew the pastor would be cool, and so I just said, I'd met him before. I'd actually preached at his church uh, about a year before. Really? And uh, I just wrote him and said, hey, just want to let you know, I'm attending your church, so God bless. If you need anything, I'm here, and whatever. And so next thing I know, the executive pastor calls, says, let's have lunch. And uh, they made me an offer, and I was back in back on staff. Yeah. But wasn't really planning on it, but yeah, it was providential because I think the church was such a... It was like a, a citywide church that, you know, was, was known and it really gave me a platform to, to do things on the side. And that's where I got into my work with the National Network of uh, building all these, these network groups. And so our idea was to build a healthy relational network within 15 minutes drive of every youth pastor in Dallas and Collin County. Ooh. So that was really what started me working with pastors a lot. Yeah. Because we could draw a crowd. So this is back in the day before your email filters really kicked in. And so... We found everybody, and everybody wanted us to find them, at least youth pastors. And so we'd launch these big citywide things, and, you know, you got everybody's email address, and nobody got filtered, and everybody wanted to be there. And so and it was the, the heyday of youth ministry, I, I feel. And everybody's wanting to do events and do stuff, so we would do things like that. And then when we started building our network groups, you know, we'd launch with, you know, 50, 100 people at a network group launch. And then we'd have a solid group of, you know, 25, 30 people in every one of our groups, and then a year later, the atrophy was like so less, going, more what, than 50%. What's going on in those groups? So they, they were lunchtime things, and we would just have a big question. You know, we'd ask, you know, we'd get out, we'd have a big meal, and, you know, it was, it was highly relational. And, and 
we always thought everybody has something to give and somebody has something to get. So we didn't want to talk in head. We wanted to ask questions and get people to share their best practice or, you know, what was going on mm. in their life. And Ooh, I so almost a mastermind group for pastors. Kind of was. Yeah. Kind of was. Everybody had something to share, right? And they didn't know what it was, so we wouldn't throw them any hardball questions. But, yeah, that's and beautiful. And we, we worked with 29 different denominations at the time. And so we had Ooh, everybody like through. It I was like rich. That. I like that. It was rich. Uh, an example was, um, the question of the day was about evangelism. And we were kind of sharing evangelism ideas. And so we went to our uh, Presbyterian guy and he's like, yeah, my church won't let me do evangelism. They think it's a waste of money. And I don't really want to get into theology here, but if you know, you know, if you're elect, you, God's going to do it. So why waste money on trying to save the elect or th- yeah. save those that are not elect? So yeah. anyways, but it was just kind of like, <gasps> you know, the, the hyper Protestants in the room are like, you what? Oh, dear Jesus. And they start help, you know, palpitating. And the other guy, he's like, I, I know, I don't know, whatever. And so it was, but we have those rich ecumenical discussions that, that really, you know, everybody was kind of siloed, I think. And we, and we still are, right? The body of Christ needs to get unsiloed. And I think things like this, us doing this, man, I don't even know Truth. what denomination everybody in the room is from, but I really don't give it's, a rip. It's, it's all over the place. Uh, and it's yeah. a beautiful thing. I've said this before, I'll say it again, one of the best things about my years working at Focus was I worked with Catholics, I worked with Lutherans, I worked with Presbyterians and Pentecostals and mainline evangelicals and Southern Baptists, fundamental Baptists. Yeah. Every denomination under the sun worked at Focus and we were all united under that, under that one banner of trying to help the family. And, it really, and Doc would bring on those guests as well from all of those different denominations. And it was a real example for me of what could be done because that focus at its peak was a 150 million dollar a year organization and we were reaching 250 million people every day through our radio products and it was in the late 90s early 2000s it was magical it was electric and so i I, i'm a huge fan of anything that's bringing across trying to bridge those denominational divides i'm a huge you have to right just to get mass to get i think I think a friend of mine says, Jesus wants all of his kids to play in the same sandbox. Truth. Yep. So I love it. I love it. And so I, I never really understood the denominational, you know, silos. And it just kind of drove me crazy, right? Because you, you just want to, like, we have so much more in common than we don't. Truth. And I would much rather concentrate on that kind of stuff. So Yeah. That, and that's easy for me. So, you know, theologically, people would say, you know, what do you believe about this? There's two polar arguments on, you know, this kind of thing. I'm like, I don't care. I see scriptures for both. I, can we just talk about like what's, you know, here's the question today. What's your spouse complaining about right now? Let's talk about that. Ooh. I don't want to talk about, you know, when you get saved and when you don't. Let's see what's happening at home. So that's how we kind of rolled. So what I learned from that was we'd see our list go down by at least 50% in a year. So we'd have 25, 30, you know, youth guys in, in an area. And then these are my numbers. These aren't like some stats I bought somewhere. We'd see half at least gone away in Why? a year later. We know there's as many uh, reasons why as you could think of. I mean, some were like taking other jobs, some were moving. Dallas has a high, you know, turnover rate, and some people were being stupid. Some people needed to get fired, and I mean, it was mm. really every excuse or every reason under the mm. sun. And but at the end of the day, it just really kind of hurt my heart. I'm like, you know, this is this is not good. I mean, if the church is the hope of the world, and you know, these are just youth pastors and single pastors, and but if we're not healthy and you know, there's, we're so, such a transient population. Like, how do we stick around long enough to make, you know, significant life change in people? And So what was your answer? 
Well, okay. So I read the stats. And because I'd already been contemplating these, I got a hold of the book that changed my life. It was called Leading on Empty by Wayne Cordero. Okay. And he had all these stats on pastor burnout and loneliness and how detrimental ministry had been to their family. And I don't know if we could say this on, you know, you can beep it out or whatever, but it just pissed me off. I was mad. And so that's not really the reason you want to start a ministry is because you're just angry. <laughs> but I guess I, I was angry and I didn't sin. I didn't know of. And that's saying the word pissed off is a sin. But I uh, showed my, one, my one, background. One of my favorite scriptures in the entire Bible is the Holy Spirit came on Saul, King Saul, and he burned with anger. And there is a place for anger. I mean, Paul says, you know, be angry, but sin not. And there is a real place. And, and, and for it to drive us to justice, for it to drive us to make some real change. And so that's cool. Well, thanks for redeeming my anger. <laughs> I was mad. I really was. And I think it hits so close to home because I'm in the middle of this. We have 10 vibrant groups growing and I'm knowing that it's just a matter of time before these hundred groups, I mean, I'm sorry, these, uh, these 10 groups go down to like nothing or fade. And if I lose half the first year, what's the second year? And so it was, it was kind of a depressing proposition to just go around and start these great things. And it was vibrant and great conversation to go like, everybody left. So when I read the stats, it really made me mad and, and it really drove me to do something. And so I just called some buddies and I said, let's go to LA. And let's just blow some steam and let's just be boys. We actually smoked cigars on that trip. We were outside because it wasn't really cigar friendly. And I remember we're outside of a hotel <laughs> kind of going, well, that's fun, but man, I'm freezing right now. We're like, you know. Um, so our church, I was working at a church uh, in Bakersfield, the same one. I'd left and, and come back okay. years later. So I was on the teaching team. And so I was flying back and forth from Dallas as part of the teaching team. And so we had a ranch house. And I said, well, let's do this. So when I'd call some friends up and go, let's just go spend some time in L.A. And I'd call some other friends and go, look, I got some pastors. We're doing this trip. Throw me a couple hundred bucks. We're going to pay for all the ground costs. They fly uh, they, on their, their dime. They take the airfare. And uh, we'd hit the ground in LAX. I was a little cryptic, you know. It's like kind of the era of the amazing race. So I'm like, meet at the Sheraton LAX at 2 p.m., with your suitcase and be ready. So we check into the hotel and then I'd whisk them off to Santa Monica Boulevard or, you know, the, the pier. Uh, we'd eat Roscoe's chicken waffles. And so <laughs> we just found out we have to have this time of building a safe space. And so we knew. So that became something that we were like, and we didn't know what we were doing. So at the time, it was like the whole trip was a safe space. We're like, oh, let's, you know, just eat well. And, and we did. And we always ate well and had, ate well and had great conversation. And, uh, and it was just accidental. It was, it was out of anger. It was a redemptive mm -hmm. call from that. But then um, we saw the need and we saw it was really helping people. And so we started so? to get a little bit more purposeful. How were you seeing it helping people? I'll give you a couple examples, yeah. a couple stories. Um, one guy came on the trip. He had uh, started a church in Dallas. He had moved away to another city, planted a church, ended up doing like kind of a, an interim worship pastor job. And uh, just really got kind of chewed up at the church. Not a lot of denominational support. Had some friends, but whatever. So he, a friend of his invited him to be on one of our trips. And uh, he had his sales resume in his bag. And he was finishing it off. And he was going to walk out of the ministry. He didn't have his uh, letter of resignation, but he had his resume for sales. 
And he was finishing that off. And when he got back on that Monday, he was going to put it on Monster. And uh, he was like walking away from ministry. He was going to write the letter then. And, and so his question was, why should I be in ministry? And he came on the trip. And it was, I mean, just one example of some of the stuff we do. We really gear down our, our focus on our trips is called the six domains of soul. And so we feel like your soul is, when your soul is healthy, you're healthy. And when your soul is not, and there's these six domains that can either be into, go into your soul or come away from your soul. And, um, you know, you, you can pump your soul up or let your soul leak or anyways. And so uh, we saved the church and he's on staff at a church right now, like a really big church. And he's just crushing it, doing well. And he's like, he said, man, I don't know what I would do. That was a dark time in my life. I didn't know anybody was around. And so I give you a dozen of those. Yeah. And so when we see things like this and we see we saved some marriages early on and we're just like, man, this stuff is working. And so we started to be a little bit more intentional about it and we were doing more and we got to the point where we're doing, you know, five, six a, a year. Another guy, another uh, story, if I may, came on a trip. He had just finished a uh, big building project and he's like, man, I don't have time to come on a trip or whatever. I'm like, man, your soul needs it. You're just tired. He goes, ah, I know I'm tired, but whatever. And so... I just, I bought his flight. You know, sometimes you got to bribe people. Yeah. And so I'm not beyond that. So I bought, we bought him a flight and I said, you're coming. So he shows up and about day two, he just goes, I can't believe it. We're like, what? You know, he just had that epiphany moment. And he said, I cannot realize, I didn't realize before this, that I was doing things all on my own strength. I wasn't relying, uh, relying on the power of the Holy Spirit. Ooh. And uh, he goes, I, I feel 100% freed up. He goes, I thought when I finished this building program, the weight was going to lift, but it's not. It just makes me want to drive harder. And he goes, but now I realize that I need to walk with God. And that needs to be my strength. I need to pray. I need to hear the voice of God. And from that, as I walk in the power of the Holy Spirit, that's going to do the building from now on. Physical building Ooh. and building the church. Ooh. So when you have, you know, those things start stacking up and you're like, this is working. So... We, uh, you know, we were doing that. We were doing, you know, sometimes a couple trips, depending on our, our level. You know, I was, I was on a plane a hundred times a year. Uh, going flying, to Bakersfield preaching. from Dallas. Bakersfield, Dallas. And then, you know, other churches where I'd, you know, speak or whatever. And we just didn't, didn't have time. You know, we did a number of trips and every time I'm turning around, God's like, do more, do more. And I'm like, Lord, the only other thing I can do is like quit the teaching team, you know, and not be part of this team and like totally do this. And as soon as I, you know, as soon as I said that out loud, I'm like, yep. well, yep. you Do know, that. exactly. Move forward. Move forward. That's it. <laughs> That's the plan. So that was September and I did. So walked away from that. Yeah. Burnt the ships as it were. And so we're doing 20 trips in 2020 and it's on, man. We're definitely out of startup and we're rolling. So what point did you burn those ships? What year? That was just last September. Oh, really? Just so last that September. Soon. So we've been purposeful for about six months. And uh, I don't know how we were doing what we were doing before without, you know, with just being part-time. It was the grace of God that we were able to do what we did. Yeah. And so we had about 150 alumni, 100, 150 alumni up until then. And so this year we're going to reach 200 pastors. We love pastors and, and we really want to stay in that space. Yes. But there's some business guys too that really challenged us and said, well, what part of the six domains of the soul or what part of the replenish experience would be, Ooh. you know, translatable to my business guys? And they, you know, one guy said, could you do it for me? Everything. With, with like 40%? I would exactly. assume. Exactly. I would assume. Exactly. That's what, that's, that was how the conversation went. He's like, 40%, 50%? I, and I gave him your answer too. I said, 100. Yeah. He goes, well, I'm bringing 12 guys out, you know, sometime next year. 
So what's the organization? It's called Replenish. And uh, you can find us at re-plenish.org. re-plenish.org. Yes. And, uh, you know, we're really trying to meet as many pastors as we can. We really want to meet leaders of leaders in the pastor space so that we're not just running around trying to grab 12 guys and, you know, do random trips. But we're hoping that, you know, somebody that's connected will go, I had 12 buddies. We want to we want to come on that. So we're always looking for guys and resources. Uh, we have some great partner locations. We have two Texas ranches that host us. And when we do Texas trips, you boys in Colorado will be proud. We shoot things. We ride things. We are we are manly men. And, and you uh, smoke some cigars. Sometimes we do. Not all the time. Not, not all, all time. of our uh, not all of our trips are uh, have been enlightened to the ways of the cigar. And that's something that Holy Smokes is hoping to start to spread the word about. Can so we, can we can we press pause there and talk about the cigar moment? Let's do it. All right. Okay. So if we have to cut this out, we can. No. So. I've smoked cigars for maybe seven, eight years, nine years. Okay. So, not a long time. Yeah. Not a decade yet. And uh, sometimes I would smoke them with friends and it was amazing. And I'm just like, what is this moment that this, you know, tobacco causes? It was just this, this, I, it just happened. And I don't know if it's because I was a noob or whatever, but I'm like, this is really cool. Whenever we light up a cigar and we have a conversation, what, which is it? Which comes first? And so then, you know, I, just because I was smoking, I'd go in the backyard and have a smoke and return some email or whatever. And like, the magic was not there. Nope. Nope. Not for me, at least. No, me neither. It really, it never was. I've never had a cigar moment. I'll call it cigar moment. I've never had a cigar moment by myself. I've smoked probably five, less than five cigars alone by myself. One time it was good. And it's just because I was celebrating something and there was no one around to come. I live out in Falcon, so not a lot of people come out and visit me. But well, I made a rule after being here my first time a couple months ago when I when it changed my life, and I want to talk about that too. The whole yes, holy smokes, literally changed my life. Ooh, and it really did. That's not hyperbole. Ooh, but we'll go into that. But so, so back to the cigar moment. Yes, um, solo never did it, and then when I was here two months ago, I said I will never smoke a cigar alone again because now I get that when you light a stick with a guy and you're going to be there for an hour. Right, and you're just gonna chop it up. You're gonna have life. You're gonna share. You're gonna get in each other's business, and I think that's what it is. I think we're relational people, right? If we think about it, we're created. God's a relational, you know, God, and we're relational beasts. And as guys, it's difficult for us to be relational because I mean, if we're out, you know, our wives are antique shopping. We're hanging out with our wives. It's kind of a double date. It's usually we're making fun of stuff that's there at the antique shop, cracking jokes, ribbing (laughs) each other. But yeah, you're right. There's something about this that opens up a level of vulnerability that isn't there any other way. I, most no other, other ways. Most other ways. Most other ways. There's not a lot of mediums, I think, that, that do this. And last night, you guys that were there down at Rendezvous, that, that was amazing. That Holy Smokes time. Uh, right? I mean, my buddy Trey came and I told him about the Holy Smokes group. And he's been in the, the, you know, the club for a while. But to experience the... I mean, it's just awesome. It's like a... Level playing field, but at the same time, man, it's this cigar moment that it's awesome. So how did Holy Smokes change your life? So I have a friend that um, introduced me to Holy Smokes a couple years back. His name is Jerry, uh, um, Jesse Mariute. And uh, Jesse's a filmmaker and done some other stuff. And so he's passionate about cigars. He made it hand-rolled, correct. 
He made the, the movie Handrolled. He's going to be out here in June. We're going to be doing a, a, an event here locally in June. I've been talking with uh, Megan Hardray and Aaron Brown. They're bringing him out, and we're doing a little event at someone's barn and showing the film and a little Q&A afterwards. I'm going to be getting him on. We're going to be recording a Holy Smokes podcast episode, so awesome. be, sure to, be sure to tune in June, July when that one's going to release. And Jesse, you're a punk if you're listening to this right now because he was supposed to come with us and he canceled out the last minute. So, oh. Yeah. So he added me yes. uh, two, three years ago. And not all the churches that I work with understand the power of the cigar. And uh, so I just kind of hid in the shadows and didn't really embrace whatever. So I came up um, a couple months ago and uh, Gunnar Johnson and I, fellow holy smoker, Who's been on the a podcast, a very early episode, Gunnar Johnson? He did, one of the first ones, right? Yeah, it was a good very one. early one. So he came in, he goes, yeah, let's uh, have a cigar on my back porch, whatever. He goes, oh, no, you know what? I got some friends. It's kind of a little uh, little club kind of feel. And so just come out here. And so we pulled up into the property here, and there was nobody around. And I'm like, okay, you got the big house over here, and you got this little side Here at Lion's Den. Sorry? Here at Lion's Den. Here at Lion's Den, yes. Yep. So I'm sorry. And, uh, and so we were the first one, we were just here, and he just opened, opened the door, and, you know, no one was around. I'm like, the guy just gives you the key? He goes, well, we got a little code. And we turned the lights on. I'm like, holy cow, this is like a for real cigar bar. It has the, you know, the, the bar over here and the leather chairs. And I'm just like, what is this? And so it was cool because it was kind of intriguing and mysterious. But then here comes the crew, right? I met Kevin there. I met, yep. And so several of the guys were around, and then so I'm going, okay, so this is like the cigar moment on steroids. I'm like, everybody's talking, you know, Steve and I hadn't met before, but we found out we have like a hundred mutual friends. And I'm just like, this is amazing. And met some other ministry leaders and yep. I'm just going, holy cow. I mean, it was like networking nirvana. <laughs> and then the icing on the cake was this right. crazy cat named Kay. <laughs> Hidamine. Kay, I, didn't, I, I, I hesitate because I didn't want to say it wrong. Kay, it, probably part of Holy Smokes changed my life because understanding the, the cigar moment, but also Kay. And we were talking and I told him we do some ministry to pastors and whatever. He's like, oh, that's important. You need to know this guy. My phone's blowing up, right? I'm trying to practice, <laughs> trying to practice being in the present and like my phone's just blowing up. So I like kind of, you know, put it on the side of my leg and had a little leg massage because it was blowing up. <laughs> <laughs> And uh, he kept introducing me to people, and I'm like, this guy's a nut. I mean, it's one thing to make contacts, you know, hey, call this guy, I'll email you later. But I mean, Every, my everyone phone. in the room is nodding their head. Yep. Okay. Okay. He's like that. The K factor. And, and so that's cool. So I left to go, well, I got to be a good steward of these contacts. So I go, I'm going to call every one of them or, you know, text them or email every one of them and just go, hey, Mitch I was K. one of them, right? Because that's, you, that's that, yes. you, you reached out to me, right? Yeah. So we're both, you know, benefactors of the K factor. And so not only did he just introduce me to people, but like if we wanted to meet, we got meet. But like they would respond, you know, because how many times have you got a contact? You need to meet this guy. And they're like, you get nothing. I'm like, Jack Wagon, this guy doesn't care about anything. <laughs> But uh, so, yeah, so that's why, you know, we connected and yeah, of course, we, became, we, had, we had an we amazing Zoom conversation. I mean, we hit it off right away. Yes. I think in part, a big foundation of, of why you and I hit it off was when I worked at Focus pretty early on in my career, I was the international editor and then I moved into the daily. But at some point during there, I think I was still the international editor when I took over the pastor to pastor tape series. 
and CD series. It was a monthly series for pastors. Doc's first, Doc was an, a first, an only child, and his first cousin, Doc, Reverend H.B. London, was an only child as well. And so they were like brothers growing up. And H.B. was a pastor of, I believe it was uh, first, Pre- first Nazarene in Pasadena, California. Okay. Anyway, he had this real pastor's heart, and Doc brought him on board to create this pastoral ministries department. Because Doc saw how pastors were hurting and how pastors would reach out and, and their needs. And so he was like, H, I want you to run this. I want you to take this and I want, I want it to grow. And so we created a monthly tape series and I was the editor for that for a long time. And so I heard all the bad stuff about being a pastor, just the burnout and just the backbiting and getting fired and just all of the stuff that we would talk about on Pastor to Pastor. And so it really put this desire in my heart for dudes that and and women organizations that want to pour into those leaders to reinforce them and help shore them up and be just help them in whatever way that they could and so that was the area in which you and i really connected because i I immediately was like you you lit up i remember that you go yes yes and you're very animated on a zoom call i'm glad we i'm glad we zoomed because like the frame would not hold you he was like hands (laughs) all over the place But, but i can tell you got excited right then for sure yeah so what are your events and why should someone come? Why should a pastor, or if you're starting to get into a business leader, why should someone want to be a part and what goes on at those events? Sure. We really try to keep it casual because we feel that half of the secret sauce is just getting the right people in the right space out of town, right? So when you do that, the walls come down. Yeah. And we're, and we're fairly mysterious in that we say meet here and, you know, because... Most pastors and business leaders, community guys, they're doing all the stuff themselves, right? They're the ones leading the organization and driving it. And, you know, like youth pastors are driving the bus and they're, they're never just really in a place where they could just go sit down and uh, information here is on a need to know basis, you know, because we take care of all the expenses so they don't do anything. So we go, you're going to go here. You're going to experience. I'm a moment guy and I'm a foodie guy. And so like, you know, just with the story about the bourbon, it's like, I like to unfold things. And so when you go on an experience with us, you're going to eat like the Texas ones. We eat the best barbecue in Texas. We take you to some cool places that you don't know. It's like nice. almost like Thrillist. You know, we should get sponsored by the Thrillist because we'll do that well. So you just, you kind of unplug from the time you get there. You just walk off the plane and go, I'm just supposed to be here. What do we do? And so we caffeinate, <clears throat> kind of give some expectations and, um, and so they don't really know, other than the fact that they know one of us, really one of our team or somebody that's, you know, an alumni. And, uh, and so they've heard great things. And we really try to concentrate on, you know, we're, we're intentional, but it looks like we're real casual because we have a series of like seven or eight exercises that we do. So it's not a curriculum at all. But over, really we have, you know, it's, it starts at two, we end at two on the fourth day. And so you got kind of half okay. day and a half day and then two full days right in between. Yep. And so we have these exercises that really narrow down, like I had mentioned earlier, about the six domains of the soul. And so we try to get guys to look inside of themselves and realize that they have a soul. We don't really try to define it because I don't really know what it is, but we try to quantify a little bit. And we try to give them the look inside of themselves, punch enough of their buttons to go, you have some deficiencies here and here. We have some metrics and some other stuff that we How do you quantify a soul? For the listeners, what does that mean? Man, that's a, I, I don't know that I have an answer to that. But I will say that we know that we have one 
because we know when our soul is, is happy and healthy and we know when our soul is not. And if you don't, I would tell you that you need to get alone. You're probably moving too fast because you're probably outpacing your soul Ooh. and you need to listen Ooh. to yourself. You need to listen to your soul and you need to go, you know, it's not just that this guy cut me off and I'm mad and I blow the horn at him and I have to ask my kids for forgiveness, but we should say, why is that? And why does that happen when I'm not in prayer? Why does that happen when I haven't had my quiet time? When I'm just running, 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 and I'm not taking those quiet times like Christ did and withdraw to the hills and, and to listen to my soul and reminding myself who I am in Christ. So you're encouraging people while you're out there to get the, to re-energize those quiet times, make that a priority. Yes, absolutely. And we try to be away from the crowds as much as possible. We, we try to overload on the city where we're at, but then we, we withdraw. And so the Texas Ranch is a great example of that man so you're out in the middle of sagebrush and tumbleweeds and you know critters and you know you have a way of unplugging and we don't you know we don't take phones away like hey you know shame people what you're on that phone right now you know we're like if you do that that's fine do do your phone that's fine but man if you could practice presence and if you don't have to be on the phone put it away take a picture and you could you could tweet that out later i'd assume that you're probably teaching people different ways in which to replenish because it doesn't look the same for everyone. My quiet times probably look different than a lot of other people. My quiet time is I'll fire up my infrared sauna at the end of the day. I'll turn, turn it on around 3, 3.30, yes. 4 o'clock. I'll hop in there for a half hour, kind of decompress, relax, shower, go upstairs, have dinner, and hang out with the family. My work is done. You're smart, right? And, and that, that restores you. We tell everybody, one of the takeaways we want people to have, and it's a quote by Rick Warren, it says, we want you to divert daily, withdraw weekly, and abandon annually. Ooh, say but that again. Say that again. Divert daily, withdraw weekly, and abandon annually. Now, what's the daily? Divert daily. What does that divert mean? Divert daily. That means just find a time to throw your phone in the drawer and take a walk. I mean, five minutes, 10 minutes. Find a time to go, I'm going to have a conversation with my kids that uh, is not going to be five minutes when I come in the door, but I'm going to take a chance, put this stuff aside, maybe you know, change my shirt or whatever, and then sit down and, and lean into your kids and go, how was your day today? So we're, we're telling people like to, be, to engage. And you can engage a different way, but if it's through a, you know, a walk, through putting your phone away, through an intentional conversation, divert daily to something that's not the norm, right? Something that fills your soul. And the next one was? The next one is withdraw weekly. Withdraw weekly. We, we should be the best at this. Pastors and Christians should be the best at this, right? Because we have this little thing, one in six. It's called the Sabbath. Yeah. Right? And we kind of brag about that sin. If breaking the Sabbath is a sin, we almost brag about it. How you doing? I'm so busy. I haven't worked 21 days straight. I'm taking a day off. And Ugh. we champion that. Yeah, good for you. You're getting a lot of stuff done for the kingdom. No, sir, that's sin. What, Steve, what if I came to you and I said, Steve, I got to tell you, man, I got, I got a little, little sin in my life, man. It's just a, just a little, and you'd be going, Rod, let's pray. What do, what do we need to do? And I go, whoa, just a little. I, I answered a couple emails on the Sabbath, man. I was trying to take unplug, and I ended up working. I used to cut my grass, or I did something. And you go, oh, that's fine, whatever. Pat, pat, we'll pray, and whatever. But if I came and you said, Steve, I got a little, little sin in my life, just a little adultery. All right, just, just, it's just tiny. It's not full-fledged adultery. Just mm. You'd be all over me, man. Mm-hmm. And I think we really got to see things God's way. I think that's part of what Sabbath is. And I don't make it this big mysterious thing. I lived next door to this Jewish lady for a long time. And she was out there, you know, preparing for her Sabbath by pre-ripping pre toilet paper and pre-cooking the food. And, and it was wonderful. I, I love what she did. But I don't 
think that I need to get in that that vein. Mm. I just I'm intentional. And you know, a lot of times the difference between me taking a, a for real Sabbath and not is me just being intentional about going. Oh, I can answer these emails right now, but I'm going to choose to answer them tomorrow. I could take this phone call, and it's not going to matter either way. And I find myself, I'm intentional about that. Then, you know what? I don't feel guilty about sitting in front of the TV and watching a full, you know, soccer game with my son. I won't feel guilty about, like, I could go out there and clean the garage right now, but I choose not to. <laughs> and it's because of Sabbath, not because I'm lazy. Mm-hmm. And I find that a lot of times it's just that, that click to be intentional. And then the last one was? The last one is abandoned annually. And it's kind of self-serving in that we challenge our alumni to come back every year on a replenished trip and, uh, and engage again. Because, you know, you can get in a lot of trouble over a year. I mean, you could just get yourself in a knot and just realize that you outpaced your soul again. And you need to be there with some other brothers. And maybe it's just your annual friends. But, like, you know, you have a text message throughout the year. And we have a couple meet-up points throughout the year. But you know that you're going to be there a year later. And you better not be getting too stupid because you're going to have to, you know, you're going to have to talk about it. Divert daily. Withdraw weekly. Withdraw weekly. And abandon abandon annually. Annually. I like that a lot. Yeah, that's one of the tools we want people to leave with. Because we're not going to answer all the the questions. You know, we we like to ask the questions and we like to poke on people enough to get them to. We did a, a youth pastor's trip in September. And, you know, youth pastors, you know, 25, 35 years old. We have a couple of, you know, things after the talk and we're like yep they're all underpaid (laughs) they're all overworked but one of the things that came out in one of our the six domains is a physical domain and these youth pastors going around them going i don't sleep well yeah i i only sleep like two hours a night and then i sleep during the day and i mean it was i'm like it was like three quarters of the group you know there's 14 of us and i just went wow and so what we don't do is go, oh, well, let's answer that. Okay, so you need to get off the ambient blue light, you know, two hours before bed, and you need to drink, you know, not drink caffeine or alcohol, you know, after two o'clock. And, but we don't do that. We're like, you can go Google that, right? We're in the information age. You can have the answers to everything you want. So we're trying to identify the problem, but not dwell on them. Okay, you guys got sleep problems? What are you going to do about it when you get home? You're going to you, you do some research? Okay, you guys going to keep each other accountable? And so we nice, try to ask the questions, nice. but let like- them have the answers. I like that, that you're trying to tie these dudes together and try and build a community amongst them. So that way they're throughout the year, they're checking in. And I like that. And and it's a bit of a resource, too, because some guys will go, hey, man, I'm looking for a youth pastor, you know, on our our lead pastor trips. We're looking for a youth pastor. And you guys got a youth guy? You know, I know a guy. And so, you know, we become (laughs) headhunters. We become sermon uh, repositories. Mini K's. Mini K's. Mini K's. Yeah. (laughs) Here's a guy. I got a guy. So, replenish.org, re-plenish.org is where they can look to learn more information if they want to possibly attend, or I think more importantly, what, what I really want the community to start to do is support, because I freaking love what you're doing, man. Mm. I do. Mm. It just speaks to me. We need more of this. Yeah. We need, because obviously you can only affect so many people in a year, even if you scale, you can still only affect so many people in, in a year. Correct, yeah. So we t- we'll see 250 people. Um, a guy that helped us start uh, this is a holy smoker too. His name is Brian Carpenter. Yeah. And he has an organization called The Refuge. And so a lot of people are going up to The Refuge. Highly encourage that as well. Whatever you do, just just find those ways to do that. And we're, you know, we, like you say, we are always looking for resource partners. You know, if you have a big ranch out there that you're just looking to open it up to some bas- pastors and some business leaders, 
we can make that happen. We're kind of mobile. Um, if you're like a denominational leader or a pastor in your city that people look to, we'd love to have you bring a dozen people on trip. And then, uh, you know, if you have resource, you know, finance, we even need that. Rod Jones. And the Rod is spelled R-A-W-D. It is. That's Don't unique. messed up. It's We're, unique. I changed it. You changed it? Was, it? it was a college thing. and uh, Really? Okay, so I'm going to be real. All right. Back in the late 80s, we'd been uh, rap people for a while. Like, rap was really not real. Like, we were, like, early 80s when we started listening to rap. Like, Grandmaster Flash. Ooh. Curtis Blow. Yep. I mean, like, like almost nostalgic pre, rap. Pre-run DMC. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I used to have this record of uh, LL Cool J. He was, like, 19. And... Uh, so we were, we were always into that scene. This is uh, before DC Talk, yeah. okay? And we had a little rap group called the Plain White Rappers. It was me and another, <laughs> and another guy, yeah. That's good. Yeah, it was mostly just on campus. <laughs> but we would take the B-sides. Remember, you could buy like the record, so we actually had yeah. records back in the day still. So we'd take the B-side, which Explain was- Explain what a record is for millennials <laughs> that are listening right now. <laughs> I think they probably know what records are, but I don't think they know what cassettes are we talked about earlier. But so back in the day, like it would have like the full extended rap song. And then on the, the B side. side, the B side was the same song without any lyrics. Seriously? Oh, yeah. Really? One of our most famous ones. You guys remember uh, Houdini's Five Minutes of Funk? And so we did. <laughs> you got that. So we did this uh, based on all the guys in our dorm at yeah. that time. And so we just wrote all that stuff, Five Minutes of Funk. We did, yeah, we, so we mostly just do stuff on campus or whatever. But so that's we, when you changed your that's the That's when I changed the name. Yeah, so my name's Rod, Rodney Brian Jones is my name, but I went by Rod B, R-A-W-D-B-E-E, -E, and that was like my, my stage name. Rod my, B. My friend was Twist Weeblow, so. <laughs> Rod B and Twist Weeblow, man, we were the plain white rappers, and uh, so we preceded DC we, Talk, so. It, Weed blow or we blow? W e e b l o w. Okay, I thought it was weed blow. That wouldn't go over well <laughs> no. in an AG campus. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> so, Rod Jones. Let's get to rapid fire questions. Hey everyone, before we get to the rapid fire segment, I wanted to talk about a way that you, as a listener, can support the show and the growth of Holy Smokes by becoming a monthly supporter at patreon.com slash holy smokes. Patreon is a support platform and for as little as $5 a month, you can get bonuses like ad-free versions of these podcast episodes, holy smoke swag like t-shirts and more. That's patreon.com slash holy smokes. We're looking to get 40 Patreon supporters at an average of $10 a month. And once we hit that, we'll be able to pay for all the costs for hosting, editing, writing, posting. I won't be paying for that out of my pocket or through the volunteering of my own personal time. And as we grow that number to 100 and 150, 200 patrons, we'll be able to do two shows a week, hire a part-time assistant, web developer, record on location and around the world and more. I want to visit groups and get those stories from so many of you listeners that I hear from. I want to go to Seattle and I want to go to Dallas and I want to go to Charleston, South Carolina and I want to go to Kentucky and Chicago and Phoenix, Atlanta, DC, Charlotte, back to Southern California and more. We want to help grow your groups and plant new ones for those of you in areas without active groups. So can you help us out? 
Become a regular supporter at patreon.com slash holy smokes. There's a link in the show notes. That's patreon.com slash holy smokes. Or if you want to make a one-time tax-deductible gift, go to paypal.me slash holy smokes club. That's paypal.me slash holy smokes club. And both of those links are in the show notes. Thanks. Rapid fire. All right, how's that stick treating you, that Daniel Marshall red label? I just got into the third third, and I really, it's it's growing on complexity, and I like it quite a bit. A little bit more spicy, a little bit more, a bit more earth coming through there, so it's very nice. All right, first cigar experience. Ah, man. Probably at a bachelor party with uh, like a Tipperillo or a Swisher Sweet. Is that, does that even count as a cigar? Yeah. Because, uh, <laughs> I, I started with Philly Titans. There you go. <laughs> in college. Yes. So uh, prefer, which do you prefer? Cigars or pipe? Have you ever done pipe? I've done pipe. Okay. I, uh, I want to do pipe a little bit more, but I like cigars because you can kind of just grab one and, and get ready to go. I do like fiddling with stuff because I feel like I'm kind of ADD and so... If I could fiddle, I would fiddle, but... Dale's nodding his head because he's got a pipe right there. And See, I'm envious. And so I, I would like to fiddle, but I feel like that would take me away from stuff too, so I'll go cigar. Interesting. Favorite cigar? Favorite cigar right now is an Arturo Fuentes work of art. Mm. I've been a fan of the short story for some time, so I like a lot of his literary series. But the work of art is, uh, is a different shape. It's the Salomon shape. It's like kind of a mini Salomon. I have one right here. Do you? All right. I do, right? Uh, this one. Okay. And uh, so it has the tapered ends. So it's tapered on the uh, Ooh, both ends. Yeah. And, uh, and it kind of gives you this punch. So you light it and it kind of goes slow. And so it has a little bit of the, like the filler you cut in there. And it's just like a man, like it kind of, because of the shape of it, it gives you that intensity. Like, you know, you kind of goes into it and then boom, you got like some deep, deep smoke happening right there. Most expensive cigar you've ever smoked? Man. Or been given? Yeah, I'm sure I smoked some good cigars. Okay, I, I got to tell you a story. So a mutual friend of Trey and I's, we were at uh, a friend's house, and he is a cigar aficionado. So we came in late, and uh, so he has a couple of sticks laying out there for us. And I didn't ask him the price, but I know they're expensive, and here's the situation. So I grabbed mine, and I light it up, and my buddy that's with me is not really a cigar smoker as much he goes oh, i'll smoke a little bit but i don't feel like smoking tonight he goes oh, i don't smoke a lot and so my friend uh says well are you gonna smoke he's well why not i'll smoke it and so he grabbed the cigar in front of him that was the one that i smoked and he pulled it back and he gave him another one and so i figured like that was probably and knowing this guy he's a cigar guy yeah it was probably a nice cigar so i'm gonna say that although i have no idea of the monetary value your go-to place to get your smokes uh, in Dallas, we have a place called The Ash, and it's amazing. Lots of holy smokers go there. Kay was there last month, uh, and they actually have 24-7 access. Really? We can get in 24-7. It's kind of Where cool. is it? It's uh, on Lover's Lane in Dallas, and uh, if you have a locker there, you can keep your, your drinks and your smokes and go anytime. Favorite liquid pairing with your smoke? Right now, I'm going to go with coffee. I, uh, uh. Don't judge me. But Kevin was brewing some kind of brew over here for us, so I might have to get at that. But now that we're finishing the podcast, maybe I'll uh, get into something else. Most interesting person you've ever met through cigars? 
I'm going to default back to K. <laughs> I, I just don't. Gosh. Can I just say I love that dude? Is that, is that okay to say? Oh, like my he, gosh, he, yes. He's, Holy Smoke's changed my life, and K has changed my life. K, I love you, bro. Just, I mean, just like that. Best and I want to be, I want to be K when I grow up, too. Because <laughs> the only person that travels more than K is Santa Claus. All <laughs> <laughs> over the place. That is a great quote. That is a great quote. Best conversation over a cigar? I've had, I've had tons. I, you know, probably in the, the beginning days of Replenish, um, several of what would become our board members, we had had some times over cigars just saying, how do we reach more pastors? How do we, mm. you know, stay, how does this, where this is really replenishing us and makes us go back to our wives and our family and be better, how can we do this more for more pastors and, and carry it on? And that was over cigars. Marvel or DC? Marvel, but I, I, I miss the whole comic thing. And I'm saying Marvel because I go see all the Marvel movies with my son. Star Wars or Star Trek? I like them both, man. I'm a nerd all the way. Nice. Yeah. So, oh, yeah. Oh, I, 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 do I have to pick one? Because I, I like right. both, man. I've, I've got same. vintage VHS cassettes in my closet of both. <laughs> now explain a vintage VHS <laughs> to the millennials that are listening. <laughs> man. It's the cassette version, but it's a video, right? It's crazy. Favorite food? Favorite food. I'm Northern Italian, and uh, I grew up with my really? grandparents. You don't look Italian. It, Jones, can't you tell? <laughs> <laughs> my mom's maiden name is Vietti, mm. and uh, we're from uh, like Lake Cuomo area. And uh, my grandmother always made this dish called polenta, and it's kind of become a little bit more popular now. But when oh, I was yeah. growing up, yeah. no one knew what polenta was. And I'm sure it's, it's peasant stuff. food and all that. But yeah, it pairs with everything and it's, it's good awesome. stuff. Dogs, cats, neither or both? Oh, dogs. Dogs. Right now we have a dog that is kind of, I call it a cat, but she's a little white. I can't even think of the name right now. She is a multi-poo. And uh, like her, but like, I want a dog. Like to me, you judge a dog by the size of his dump. And yep, so yep. If you, I'm, I'm, I'm the same. I'm the same. Yeah. If you don't have a, a dog that takes a big old mean crap, man, you, you got a cat. Nickname. Listen, we'll edit that out yeah. <laughs> nickname growing up or in college uh, well we went through the Rod B thing so that, that was my stage name man so I'm going to stick with it what's one unusual fact that few people know about you while I was in high school I had a 69 Camaro and I loved it I wish I still had it and uh, I was always tinkering with it and I was a wannabe mechanic and uh so I was in the garage, and like every garage back in the day, you had the refrigerators up against the wall, right? And then on the other side was another uh, wall, and so that was my parents. That was the living room, so it was like garage, living room. And uh, so I was working on my car, and it was running rough when it was in gear. And so I was messing with the, the carburetor, and so I put it, and so when I put it in park, it was, it was running fine, then I put it in gear, da, 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 da. and so I go, man, I need to mess with this in gear. So I put the emergency brake on, you guys are laughing. <laughs> so what you're imagining did happen. So I put the put the emergency brake on, put it in gear, and I mess with the you know the intake and the air and whatever. And I think, oh man, I need to give it a little gas. And so I'm standing in front of it, and I, I I hit the accelerator, and man, it backed me up and like hit me into the refrigerator. I'm pinned. I can't get out. That's pushing the refrigerator through. The, oh the wall gosh. on the other side of my parents and they're probably watching Happy oh Days or something gosh. going, holy crap, Rod just pushed the refrigerator through the wall or whatever. So 
the, it, so the short answer is I ran myself over with my own car. <laughs> Are you a reader? I am. If Audible counts as reading, then I'm what, really a reader. Yeah, I count that. Okay. So what kind of genres do you like? Man, it, like when I go to the, you know, the bookstore, it's in the self-help section, but it's along the lines of, uh, you know, Trey and I were just talking about Jordan Peterson. We were like that. The book that's rocking me right now is uh, the Mark Comer book, uh, John Mark Comer, The Olymp uh, Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. Yeah, Ooh. it's amazing. So Ooh. I'm there. I read another book that, God told me, he said, you need to pay a little bit more attention to this. And um, the book is called uh, Spiritual Slavery to Spiritual Sonhood. And I, I, if, I, didn't, I didn't like the title because I didn't grow up with any daddy issues. And mm -hmm. a lot of times you, you, know, you hear something like that and you're like, oh, this is going to like, you know, talk about, oh, you were abused by your dad, ignored by your dad. And so you need to understand your dad, forgive you. I didn't really want to read a book like that. So, mm -hmm. I, so I thought it was. And, uh, and there's so much more. It talks about us being sons in Christ and it's. When I read it, I was just like, oh, man, this is really good. And I felt like God goes, you need to pay a little bit more attention to that. I don't know what that means right now, but hmm. it really impacted me. I'd say that's the most significant read I've, I've read in past nine months, at least. Ooh. So what are some of your favorite books all time? Not titled favorite. The Holy Bible. Okay. I'm a Gladwell fan. Uh, a lot more of his uh, earlier stuff than current. I mean, it's great, but the, the tipping point and outliers just changed my world. Let's see, uh, Tale of Three Kings. You probably know that one back from the day, yeah. Tale of Three Kings is really good, especially dealing with a lot of people in ministry because mm -hmm. usually the first two years of ministry, you're gonna get the crud beat out of you and it's probably gonna be by your lead pastor or your denominational you know, support or whatever. And so it's a great book that deals with that about, you know, it's the Tale of Three Kings. It's David, uh, Solomon, and, uh, and Saul. What are your two or three favorite books of the Bible? Books of the Bible? I love Genesis and I like to read it slow. I like to read a verse at a time and just go, what does that mean? You know, Ooh. and uh, it's the book of firsts and I love the theology of firsts. You know, you find the first mention in the Bible and you go, this is the first mention of like Babylon or marriage or whatever. And you see it go through scripture and what it means with the first usage is pretty impactful. So love Genesis. I love first uh, and second Timothy and I like the pastoral epistles. I hate this word, but do you have a life scripture, a scripture that's like, just boom, this is me, or, or this speaks to me. This is like the one that, that, that you reference more than any other one. I don't reference it as much, but I, I, I got it maybe back in college before I was married. Um, Psalm 112 just speaks to me. It talks about godly people and about godly uh, offspring. And so it, I love yeah. that one. Yeah, that's a really good one. If you could be any animal, what would you be? Oh, that's easy, man. I'm an eagle. Not, not in a leadership way. Okay, that sounded very arrogant. No, no, no. <laughs> How about I take that back? Rewind. Okay. Oh, that's a great question, Steve. I want to be a bird of prey. <laughs> I, I want to be able to like, you know, fly and soar and see life from, you know, the thousand, thousand foot view and then swoop down on some chumpy rabbit, man, and like, you know, <laughs> take him out. I like rabbits. Who has been the greatest influence in your life? My paternal grandfather. Ooh, tell me more. Um, great, great memories of my grandfather. He uh, gave me my first firearms. He was a hot-headed Italian. And uh, my mom and uh, my uncles would say he was a much 
different dad than he was a grandfather. I think he uh, he learned how to be a better man of God. Ooh, yeah, he was always involved in the church. Yeah, always there for us. He would say, uh, you know, what's Grandpa's little buddy doing? And gosh, just good memories of him and and ministry and uh, faithfulness. All of his kids and grandkids are serving the Lord today, and there's a bunch of them. Ooh, that's a testament. If you could live anywhere, where would you live? Outside of right here in the lion's den? <laughs> yeah. Man, I, I've traveled a, a fair amount, so I feel like I can answer this. I really love Dallas. I, I love, I mean, uh, yeah, yeah, man, I could go live in Hawaii and something like that, but Dallas is the epicenter of a lot of stuff, and I could be anywhere on a plane in like two and a half hours. Who's the first person you think of when you hear the word successful and why? Well, the first answer that came to my mind is Jesus. So that's a gimme, right? Yeah. The second person if we're doing like kind of the, the Freudian word association was Mother Teresa. And I don't know why she came, but she's a person that definitely descended into greatness. You mentioned taking care of your soul. Where do you recharge your soul? What do you do? I like the cigar moment. So if I'm with a good friend over a good cigar and um, in a good restaurant, a good meal, maybe that's my, my foodie coming out, but like maybe love language, my love language is food and, uh, and good conversation. But the, I'm gonna give you a real answer too, and we could probably edit this out, is I'm trying to figure that out because I do help a lot of other people deal with their junk. Yeah. And I feel like the answer that I, that I gave you before is fine. But going forward in the accountability of brothers, I need to figure out a new level. Mm. I'm, I'm fine. But I do see that the more you do this, the more, you know, whenever you draw a line in the sand, uh, the enemy goes, ah, that's where we're going to attack him. So until mm. you draw that line, he's like, ah, I don't care. But I, I feel like I really need to be aggressive on finding that new answer to that question. So, All right, last two questions. If you were to have a holy smoke with any three people throughout history, living or deceased, who would they be? Can't name Jesus. Can't name Jesus. Okay, I have to ask you a qualifying question to this. Yes. The answers I've heard in the past, the people that actually have identified people that smoke cigars, I think that that's a cool answer, but is that not the nope. criteria? So, nope. Nope. So Anyone. the Apostle Paul, like I could just presuppose a, a Macanudo on that guy. Absolutely. <laughs> okay. I won't do that because I feel... <laughs> Mark Twain. One of mine. I heard that. I, I didn't want you to think I'm copying you. Cause, but he's, he's, he's just like one of these interesting minds. He was such an interesting cat. He thought differently than everybody. Totally. I was just listening to a thing about his journey to the Holy Land back in the day, which yeah. blew my mind. Yeah. So I would love to hang out with him and just, just to go, dude, you talk. I'm going to listen. I, I said this on my episode. I really believe that if, that if Mark Twain would have been around a Holy Smoke community, that his opinion of Christianity would have been much different, mm. much different because he came out, he was alive during the whole, you know, awakening for temperance and, you know, trying to separate yourself from sin. And so there was a lot of that legalism going around, which is something the church needed to, needed to start to needed to do, but they went over the top. And so, and, and really that influenced him in a very negative way towards Christianity mm. and the church. Yeah, church was different back then. Yeah. Number two. Number two, I'm going to go with George Washington Carver. 
Oh, yes. I like that dude, right? I mean, he oh was gosh, he was yes. a world changer, revolutionary thinker, scholar, and uh, and I heard a story about him where he was a peanut farmer, and he would ask God, God, tell me everything about the world, God, enlighten me about the universe, and uh, as the story goes, God told him, He's like, you can't handle that. Ask me a different question. Right, you know, everybody talks with God is different, and so this is how yeah, I yeah. hear the story. And uh, he goes, "All right, God, well, tell me everything about a peanut." And he discovered what a couple hundred uses for peanuts, like you know, everything from like peanut paint to peanut. I mean, everything peanut. He, you know, has been done. So I'm just like, if that guy could zero down on this and with an enlightened moment from God, talk about that. I would just like to see how he thinks. Number three, Winston Churchill. All right. Because he was a cigar guy, but just pivotal in, again, world history. Like, you know, he was, he was eccentric and weird and crazy. And I'm just like, ah, I'd like to just see what makes this guy tick. All right. Last question. If we're to meet one year from today and I got a bottle of that Texas whiskey that you brought or whatever your favorite drink is or champagne, what are we celebrating? You're killing me because I knew you were going to ask me this question and I don't have a good answer, man. <laughs> I don't have a good answer. I guess I don't dream big enough. I don't know. All right. One year from today, <laughs> we're celebrating that you have that big dream. Holy smokers, come alongside Rod Jones. Start praying for him. That Please. you get that download for that big dream. That big thing that he wants you to do. All right. I'm going to take that challenge, man. And we're going we're gonna to follow today. it up. All right. One year from today. All right. All right. I got my homework out. Rod Jones, replenish, re-plenish.org is the website. Yes. Holy smokers, let's come alongside this guy. Let's come see, on. Let's see you take this to the next level. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for having me, man. And like, I love these on. dudes in this room right here. These are the greatest dudes ever. Mm-hmm.